RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag Man's Best Kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. Kevin are here, ready for another episode of the Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles. He and I just finished a delicious chicken fajita dinner, and we got talking at the dinner table about some cool ideas for our podcast podcast listeners. How about that? And we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to offer a free Lone Duck hat. To three listeners. Now, here are the rules. We're going to have you email us. Kevin, what's our email? Lone Duck Podcast at gmail.com. That is L O N E D U C K podcast at gmail.com. If you email us your favorite waterfowl or upland game bird recipe between now and Thanksgiving, Go ahead, Kev. You're looking at me funny. We can also feel free to share it on social media and tag us. All right. That's fine. But that's a lot. But anyways, if you email us at LoneDuckPodcast at gmail.com, your recipe, we're going to load it up on our blog, and there's going to be three winners. Each winner is going to get a Lone Duck hat. Each winner is going to be uploaded to our website's podcast, or excuse me, our, our blog. And it's going to be launched out to the whole Lone Duck community. And it's going to be pretty sweet. And also, Kevin and I are going to test that out on podcast night. 
So we're going to eat your recipe with either duck or pheasant or chucker or whatever we can. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. Whatever we can kill in central New York. You share it. We'll eat it. And we're going to pick the three best recipes and you're going to win a hat. So Lone Duck Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your favorite wild game bird recipe and you'll be a win a win a chicken dinner. Numero dos, little thing we're going to talk about is the hunt test in South Carolina that I was just at. We'll rip through this one quick, but uh, we had Memphis Cruise Picnic and Chaser in Master. Picnic and Chaser are golden retrievers that I've been working with for the last like six weeks. Um, they're senior dogs that are got their senior title and are moving on up. And we basically gave it a run at Master to see how they would do. And then we had a little Tup Tup, Tupper, the Golden, running Junior, and Faith Girl, running Junior. So Tuesday, old Cruz, she came into heat, so she gum. Couldn't, couldn't uh, compete in the test because of her heat cycle. Really? I didn't know she was coming into heat. Yeah, man. So Cruz came into heat on Tuesday night. We're going to talk about that after. Yeah, she. Yeah, we can talk about it now. Forget it. So she came into heat Tuesday. She was sleeping on the bed. Next morning, wake up in front row. A little bit of spotting, if you will. So uh, we decided to, well, we don't have a choice, but we pulled her from the test. She needed one more pass for her master title. And let me tell you, she's been running beautifully. So I was pretty disappointed, but then... You know, you got to deal with life as it comes at you. So we decided to, we are going to breed her. Very exciting. Who uh, who we got in mind? So we decided to breed her to a dog that I've trained, and maybe you followed along. His name is Bowie. Bowie has his senior title. He's an English lab and American lab mix. Absolutely gorgeous dog. Really stud. Yeah. Boxy looking handsome strong strong looking hard charging oh yeah but he's got that really nice mix of house dog and hunting dog so we're gonna pair him with Cruz, who's a very beautiful female um a lot of drive sweet disposition and i think these puppies are going to be the ideal house dog hunting dog hunt test competitor that people strive for so if you're not into hunt tests but you love to hunt with your you know your family dog these dogs are for you um now with that being said life happens i don't know if the breeding is going to take and so that's where it's not in our hands it's up to buoy and cruise it's in their paws it's in their paws wow and it's up to them and nature to take course and if it takes you guys will be the first to know. Um, but if it does, wonderful. And we're going to have a really nice litter of uh, potentially black and yellow puppies. So if you're interested, hit us up, and we'll keep you on like a little up-to-date up to list for the litter. Um, so she came into heat out of luck on getting her master title, but we'll get that soon. When is the breeding going to occur? We're trying right now. So I left Cruz in South Carolina where Bowie lives, uh, where I winter in Charleston. 
So it's kind of up to my friends in Charleston who co-own crews with me to get the breeding done. Um, they will be, if, if the breeding takes place this week, 64 days from now would be middle of November, middle of December, middle of January. And so they would go home middle of March ish. Wait, middle of April, springtime. Spring there might time. be some lone duck puppies in <laughs> yeah, springtime. Sometime. You all know I'm not a math guy, but anyways, middle of January they should be due, and then eight weeks later they'll go home. But Cruz is out for the hunt test. Memphis, just to sum it up, smashed it. Looked like a veteran out there stepping on marks and running gorgeous blinds. She got a master pass. Old Picnic, who's a young dog, young golden retriever, she bombed <laughs> what happened old pick didn't didn't have it that day old pick didn't pick him up Ooh, so first series of how'd the you get a senior pass well hey let's back up here when have you when did you get picnic well i got her six weeks ago or so knowing that we were coming south but picnic got her senior title this this summer like july and then her owner has been working with her all summer with me and then I signed, we like we signed her up for this test to just see how she would do. So long story short, um, we go to the first series. Picnic is dog number two. So get her out of the box at you know a strong eight thirty in the morning. She ran around, aired out. We go up to the line, and it was a wide open, relatively self-explanatory triple with a medium difficulty blind this is totally doable for picnic and i'm thinking here we go you're gonna be fine let's rip first bird goes off steady second bird goes off steady third bird goes off which is a live flyer picnic broke and went after the second bird so she broke she, she wasn't even excited about the live she didn't bird? even see it it just was a lot of going on and Actually, she didn't even like full bore break, you know, like when a dog goes for, or especially picnic, when she goes for a mark, she's full tilt kicking up dirt and she like haphazardly went and then turned around and looked at me and came back. But that's a break and you can't right. do that in master. So she gone, roped her up, took her back to the truck, licked my wounds and pulled chaser out. And chaser is like a half sister to picnic, if you will. Really? Yep. Chase um, is a lot darker than Picnic, though. Yeah. I guess that makes sense, though. That happens. Yeah, that happens. So uh, Picnic and Chaser are golden retrievers, but Chaser is even more, like, young compared to Picnic. Picnic's been crushing it in training, and Chaser is, like, iffy some days. And other days she comes out and does really well, but she's just a little iffy. So we had lower expectations for Chaser, but, hey, let's do it. So... I line her up, sit down, good, call for the bird, and she does a wonderful job marking the birds and then ran an okay blind. Wasn't gorgeous, kind of a little, um, what do you want to call it? Like She thought for herself a little bit on that blind, but it was within reason, and they called us back to the second. So we go to the second series, and this was, dude, it was a monster. So it was a stick pond at... Cooper Black in Shiraw, South Carolina. 
and there's stumps and logs down and first bird goes off and it's on like a hillside with maybe a 30 yard swim and then drive up 30 yards second bird goes off and it's thrown on the other side of the pond probably a 75 to 85 yard swim past tons of stumps over two different downed logs and then thrown in some cattail reeds third bird goes off and it lands on land you know 50 yards away steps on the go bird comes back lines up the other short bird across the pond and nails it and then lines up and is kind of like you can tell when a dog remembers where it is and where they when they don't like when they know where it is they'll look right at it and you'll cue them up and how i cue a dog up is like good right there good good chaser and send them okay so she comes back and she's kind of looking around like i don't really remember and then god's gift to me the bird boy in that like holding blind like rattled the winger and all of a sudden she like looked right at it and it was like oh i remember where it was so it was kind of luck and then kind of hey she did the work and i kicked her off with a real loud send on her name like chaser like really emphasize her name so that she drives and she took the most beautiful line over the stumps, over the logs, persevered through all the difficulty in between her and the bird, didn't cheat the bank, I mean, big dog stuff, and stepped on that bird, and the whole gallery of people watching, like, were clapping and cheering, and it was pretty sweet. So I was really, really, really proud of her that she overcame that challenge and smoked it. Uh, Memph came up and did real well on that, too. Um, third, how, how old is Chaser now? Cause she, uh, she was just turned two. Yeah, I was gonna say she's, yeah, she's got like young. A, a young dog face to her. She's a beautiful dog. I didn't know she was running master though. Yeah, she's young. So third series, uh, we are in the holding blind and basically kind of a different move than normal. Usually, you come out of the holding blind, you run your marks, and then you run your blinds. This time. They did a dry pop. So a person out in the field shoots a gun. You step out of your holding blind, heal them up to the line, and they see three holding blinds out, you know, in the area. And instead of getting marks, we're going to run blinds. So this is totally different than what they're kind of used to. And an older dog, you know, no harm, no foul. They just do the work. A young dog, she thinks she's coming out to run marks and i line her up and send her on a blind retrieve and basically like it's called a no-go so i said back you know i lined her up good right there good back and she sort of went and then sort of looked at me and just wasn't confident so when you're running a blind you want ultra confidence and she just didn't know what she couldn't believe that we weren't running marks that we had to run a blind so she basically no go. That's an automatic fail in a master test or any test, senior or master. You can't have any confusion on a blind. So she failed. I was bummed, but looking back, you have to be super proud of the work she put in before that 
and I bet six front months from now she will be crushing master tests. So we got some work ahead of us, but old chaser, she'll be just fine. Then our little junior dogs, Faith and Tupper. You know, uh, for if people are listening and ha- haven't been to a junior test, basically it's two singles on land and two singles on water. So you step up to the line, you can hold the dog, hold him by the collar, signal for the bird, bird goes off, judge sends you, you send the dog, dog goes and gets it, brings it back. Line up for the second bird, gun goes off, bird goes off, you send the dog, they come back, um, and they do that on land and water, and both Tupper and Faith looked beautiful. I mean, marked great, ran great, delivered a hand beautifully, they were on their A game, and so Tupper got her junior title, and Faith needs one more for her junior title. So this winter, when we take the dog south, and uh, our training in Charleston, South Carolina. Faith will run again for her junior, and hopefully at that point we'll be ready to run senior too. So overall, successful weekend with a master pass and Chaser going above and beyond what we all really thought her capabilities were and persevered through some difficult, difficult stuff. And then the young dog stepped up to the challenge and kicked butt. Um, and I'm proud of Memph. I mean, she, I think is like six for six and master. She failed a few when she was young. And then basically since July, I don't think she's failed one. She's been steady as she goes, super consistent and kicking butt. Man, that sounds like an awesome weekend though. I had a little bit of uh trials and tribulations with a couple of the dogs, but that's, that's part of the game. That's part of the love. Uh, kind of makes it, you know, sweet when Memphis does do really well, or when Chaser does have those special moments and really like, crushes it. Um, but before we jump into our uh, next thing, I want to talk about because I saw that you went coon hunting down south, which I do want to talk about. Uh, that was like a quick little Instagram. Didn't even see that coming. But I wanted to mention uh, we have some exciting news. We have a little coupon code that we have for our podcast listeners. So for next week on Black Friday, Black Lab Friday, what, what? we're going to do uh, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. If you enter the promo code podcast, all lowercase, all lowercase, singular podcast, <laughs> can't get more self-explanatory than that nope we're gonna do something special so what we're gonna do is it'll be a customized uh coupon code where it'll be random so it'll be a little bit fun so you got to put in uh at the checkout you put it in and it'll be up to 20 percent off but you won't know until you put it in the promo code and it'll be random so it'll be totally random totally up to chance where you could save up like 10% up to 20% off with That's the promo right. code podcast. And it's kind of cool. So like, let's say you want to order a hat and a sweatshirt. You at, enter that code podcast and you might get 14. Boom, hit enter. And there's your percentage off. So kind of cool. We're excited about trying this thing out. And hopefully you guys head over to LoneDuckOutfitters.com and give it a whirl so promo code podcast for 10 to 20 percent off 
at random. So now that we got that squared away, I want to jump into your coon hunt down south. I didn't even know you were going out looking for some raccoons. Um, they're a little bit scraggly looking down south. We have some nice looking raccoons up north. A little bit chunkier, ready for winter time, eating more garbage maybe. I don't know. But the raccoons you see down south, no offense to all our southern friends, scraggly looking. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me about your coon hunt. So my buddy, Bunny Snipes, uh, I went to his house Friday night. Um, it's it's like his family's hunting cabin. It's called Broomstraw Plantation, and he invited me. We're gonna have a couple beers, air the dogs, you know, have a place to run around and let them play before you know the hunt test over the weekend. And we show up and he's like, how would you be interested in going on a coon hunt? I'm like, dude, I'm in. Sign me up. Let's go. So he made some phone calls. We had two of his buddies from the area. Uh, They brought a Walker coon dog and a blue tick. uh, What's the difference between those? Because I know on Instagram, if anybody got... got, uh got wind of your Instagram there. They kind of look the same to me mm-hmm. at least. It was quick and it was real dark out when you were when you were filming. Sure. Uh talk to me a little bit about the differences. Yeah, so they're two different breeds like a, a Labrador <laughs> yeah. and a Chesapeake. I mean, All they right. they both do the same thing. They both retrieve ducks, but a Labrador looks different than a Chesapeake. So, a Tree Walker coon dog is different than a Blue Tick coon dog. So, the Tree Walker was white with black and brown spots. It kind of looked like a long-legged, longer-eared beagle, if you will, like loosely, right? Like, I mean, this is probably a 65-pound big dog. It's a big old beagle, lanky beagle. Yeah, but I, so, I mean, the coloration of a beagle, but a big dog. All right. Um, nice, short, tight coat, long tail, long ears, uh, extremely athletic, uh, and then the blue tick coon hound, this one was a lot of black and it had um, some ticking. So ticking means basically small spots uh, on the lighter parts of the coat. Um, it was a male and female, Zeus and Lily. And basically on Bunny's property, there's some swamp land and tall trees and he and soybeans. And the coons have been eating the soybeans. So he called this guy up, brought the two dogs over. They're both young. Zeus was older and more experienced. So we kind of like leaned on him. And then Lily was learning the trade. So she was a year and change, but learning how to hunt. So <clears throat> is that like a strictly a nose thing? Yeah. All it's nose. dark out, I guess. So it's got to be. Yep. Pitch black. They, they, how we did it we rolled up to where we're gonna hunt and the hunter walked the dogs up to the wood line and kicked them loose i don't know if he told them hunt them up or like go find them whatever the cue was but he basically just let them go and we stood back and waited and the dogs ran into the woods and they're silent until they find a track they call it cutting a track cutting a track so when the dogs cut a track and come across raccoon scent they start to bay and they have distinct barks which are called bays and so when zeus would get on a track he'd like do a low 
Does he know or uh, is trained to do different howls and damn that's cool yeah so it's all instinct so when he's tracking and running the track he has a certain bay and he's baying as he's tracking and now you know like all right he's over here it's kind of like running our you know andy the setter with a bell like you can hear the bell in the distance so you kind of know where she's at yeah yeah when they're just running tracking zing (laughs) nice so when he's hunting and he doesn't have a track you're just it's silence we had a gps collar that could tell where he was so we knew the general vicinity like i guess not even general vicinity like we knew exactly where he was right how far away was he um roughly within 150 yards so not too far then no but silent right and all of a sudden he cut a track and it's like Ooh, baby. And then through the, like, silence of the night, you heard it, and you're like... What time of night? Like, middle of the night? Or, like... No, well, so a lot of these coon hunters will hunt till, like, 2 in the morning. Like, I don't know how they get up in the morning and go to work, but this was uh, 8.30. We'd gone to dinner. I was going to say, it's, like, bedtime. Dang. Right. Yep. But this was, like, 8.30, and I think we hunted till 10. So it wasn't crazy. Yeah, yeah. But he cuts track, starts bang, and we don't know where Lily is. Well, again, not true. We had the GPS, but she wasn't bang. Yeah, but she's silent. She's silent. So then all of a sudden, you heard Lily strike up. Oh, another coon term that I'm, uh, you know, savvy on now. (laughs) Striking it up. So that's when she starts bang. And because she's so young and doesn't even really know what she's doing, if she smells it, now it's like, Oh, there's definitely there's some action. There's got to be something action. Yeah. Like, it's got to be hot for her to Man, like, that's cool. Yeah, dude. Hair stand up on the back of your neck type of cool. So... Now they're both baying as they're trailing. And then when they got on a tree, so we ended up treeing one coon and the sound of their bark changed. So that bay changed to a tree, right? So so you, we now know because of the bark changed, they They've treed narrowed a coon. It down, yeah. They narrowed it down to what tree it is. Wow. Which is really cool because now you're like, okay, we got to go find them. Again, we've got the GPS to pinpoint them, but if you didn't have the GPS, you're just going towards the bark. Right, but so, well, all right, so that makes sense. So that, I, I got you on that. But if it's pitch black outside, how are you looking 30 feet up into a tree and being able to say, well, I guess maybe like they're, can you shine them? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Their so eyes these gonna... dudes, so get this. You know those mining helmets? Like if you're a miner, <laughs> that's what these dudes had on. And I'm for, not making for fun like of them. spelunking. Like, I don't know what spelunking is, but cave, sure. Cave diving. Cave diving. Okay. Yeah. So they had these miner helmets on with these high beams. Like think of a a truck high beam. I mean, this thing lit the skyline up when they sh- shined it in the trees, and they had red, green, and white. And it was like a fancy headlamp. Wicked fancy headlamp. But the cool part is, like, they were saying, if you shine just the white, the coons will, like, close their eyes. Really? Yeah, so their eyes won't light up. If you shine the red light, their eyes won't shut. They'll keep looking around and seeing what's going on. So that was pretty cool. So we were doing, like, white light, red light, 
um, they were banging on the tree with a log to try and get the coon to like rattle out and look around what's going on. Long story short, we didn't end up finding it. You know, a million things could have happened. It could have tree hopped or it could have gone in a hole and, you know, got itself into a hole and not come out. But it's something, I mean, in fifth grade, I read where the red fern grows and had a huge love for the thought of coon hunting and the thought of owning a coon dog and staying up all night running coons. Yeah, you've talked about this before that it's it's always been like a dream of yours. Huge to, bucket list. Yeah, huge bucket list. So I was thankful that these guys came out and that Bunny got this together for us. And how many guys went? Uh, it was Bunny, his father in law, myself, and the two guys with their dogs. So, so it's like a group of guys. Yeah. And it was just, it was cool, like nonchalant while you're listening and waiting for them to tree, and then it was gangbusters to get to the tree, and then like all hands on deck looking up into the tree trying to find it, and then who... You know, how'd you nail down like, all right, so if there's a handful of guys here, who gets to... Pull? Shoot. Yeah. Um, Did you even discuss that? Or we what? didn't even discuss no. it, honestly. They had a 22 with them. That was going to be my next question is what... I, wouldn't imagine you'd have like a hefty no it was a 22 um but we didn't even get a crack at them but the the hard part is and i know this from retriever training when you send a dog out there on a duck right you want them to have success so you don't want them to go out into the marsh and hunt 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 and come up empty-handed you want them to find that duck so the prize at the end of the tunnel is there for them all that hard work pans out in a duck so this young dog, Lily, we were working hard to get her that raccoon so that she could have success and, like, get the fur in her mouth and get jazzed up that all that hard work paid off, and she got the prize at the end of the tunnel. And I felt bad that we, we couldn't lock one down and, and get her one. But really impressed by the athleticism of these dogs and the enthusiasm uh, for being on the tree. I mean, Zeus, the, the veteran was literally jumping eight, ten feet in the air trying to climb the tree. What? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was stepping backwards five feet, running up to the tree, running up the tree, barking, banging. See the tree walker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. But but even that little Lily, she was just head straight in the air, just howling. That's Awesome. Yeah, it was really, really neat experience. So thank you to the guys who brought their dogs and Bunny for facilitating. That was definitely a bucket list thing for, for me and being a dog lover that I would do again in a heartbeat. If anybody uh, listening has any experience with with raccoon hunting, definitely send in some notes, send in some comments. Uh, love to talk to you about it and kind of pick your brain because this sounds super cool. So uh, definitely don't be shy. Sweet. All right. So let's get into our Instagram questions uh, that have been sent in to us over the last few days. And then we're going to also kick it off on Instagram Live and see what we can do. Here we go. All right, Kevin, hit me with question number one. Who gave us, who sent us the question, Kevy? Well, we, that's cute. But also, someone made a good point. Turn the mic around, lights flaring the lens. Huh. Thanks. Appreciate that. Appreciate it, guy. Almost every time. Come on, Kev. You ready? Yeah. Uh, Yellow Fever, uh, appreciate the question. Um, He is having a litter shortly and wants to develop the pups into 
future duck dogs. Wondering if you had any thoughts on some early puppy development uh, with that in mind. Awesome. What do you got? Great question. So early puppy development is extremely important. I think it leads the puppy into a strong adulthood through socialization. And so with puppies, we're doing things um, even super young. So this uh, he, he was a police officer and he would breed and raise and train police dogs. And what he would do is when the mother was feeding the babies, like five days old, right? These puppies are little guinea pigs and they don't have their eyes or ears or anything open. I mean, they have eyes and ears. But they're not open, right? So they yeah, can't yeah. see or they can't hear yet. Right. But their nose works, okay? He would pull all the puppies away from the mom and then see who would wriggle faster towards the mother to feed. And that was like, he'd cue in on be like, male green, female pink. And he'd say like, these two from day five to day 12 were really working hard to get to the mother. You know, and it just shows at a very early age, tenacity, enthusiasm, hunger for what they want, right? And later in life, that could turn into hunger for ducks, you know, doves. Just kind of shows badassery, right? Badassery. So then, you know, as the puppy ages and they're walking and have sight and ears are rolling and everything's developing, we're creating an environment that is stimulating okay so having you know you have to wait until their immune system's built up a little bit but they need to go outside in grass and explore they need to be around obstacles and toys and stimulating environment okay so their brains get stimulated and they're not just basically in a kennel doing nothing right and just growing you want to give them experiences so that they become confident and um, inquisitive and explore and all those cool things that puppies do, but we're enhancing If you that. let them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like if you provide let them. them that opportunity. Right. And then as they even get closer to going home, wing clip pigeons, you know, frozen ducks, frozen pigeons, frozen quail chucker all those things but like a winged clip pigeon where they can chase it and tear you know tear it apart type of thing like really build that crazy drive for prey um again as they get older you can introduce them to water if it's warm out now we're not picking the puppies up and carrying them into the water and letting them swim to shore we're wading out into the water and letting them follow us if they don't want to follow us no harm no foul but you know, get them if they are enthusiastic into the water and maybe take that wing clip pigeon that they've now been chasing for a week and really, 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 really love and toss it into the water, you know, five feet away from shore. So they have to swim. And we're again, I'm going to say it one more time, building experiences at a young age where they're inquisitive and learning and developing confidence from, you know, that zero to eight weeks before they get sent home. That's how we use that early neurological stimulation and uh, find out who who the big puppy is in the pack. So, all right, Kev, question number two. Uh, got a good question here. I was wondering if your 
training is adjusted at all uh, during the wintertime when it's real snowy. You oh, man. Snowbird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the easy yeah. answer is no, because you cheat and go down south. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, today was bitter cold. It was in the 20s, um, and I did work indoors. I did force fetching, uh, obedience, and place work inside today. And then the dogs who are on pile work, which is like pattern blinds and T pattern and mini T, we wound, went, excuse me, went outside and we did lining pass and T pattern and mini T where I can like shuffle the snow and make a pathway and teach them. So tomorrow, whether rain, snow, sleet or hail, we're going out and throwing marks and doing gun dog work. But right now, because it's so cold, our water training, they can still get water marks, but it's not big, not challenging, not uh not a lot of force, nothing crazy. It's just, eh, it's bare minimum water work now. So most of it's land, most of it's marks, most of it's pattern blinds, lining pass, T pattern, force fetch, obedience, gunfire work. You know, we still can get a lot done, but definitely modified to make sure they stay warm and happy. And, you know, so do I. All right, what you got for number three? I called you a cheater for going down south. I like that. I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. When when you've got icicles hanging from your nose, you come and talk to me. Yeah. Uh, Co Beaker Seven asked, "How many months do you train your pups?" I said, "Year round." Uh, get back to us a little bit more detailed information, like how old are the pups you're talking about, or uh, I mean, we train year round. So maybe he meant like, at what age do we start training our puppies? I don't know uh, what age you start training your dogs. For hunting okay. Specific. There you go. Thanks, Great question. Appreciate the follow-up. Yeah. Appreciate the follow-up. Um, I train them from day one when I get them. So I don't know if I've covered this in other podcasts, but the main thing that that's a huge question I get all the time. So um, we train them from the day they get to me, you know, at eight weeks old and it's socialization people places and things so i take them around my nieces i take them to family parties and barbecues and um get them exposed to many people places and things i'll take them on adventure walks right so they're going through streams hiking through taller grasses and sticks and branches and things that poke and prod and might spook them at first, but then, oh my gosh, nothing happens, and Bob's calling me, and they learn that the world is an awesome place with a lot of positive things. Um, that's huge. That's so big for a young gun dog to have positive experiences in all different environments. So people, places, and things, socialization. Next thing I do, 100% crate train. I do not let a puppy free reign, you know, uh, out of my sight, whatever. Crate train, if you're not watching that puppy, they're in the crate. They're contained. We know where they're doing and what they're doing. Um, you know, no nipping, no jumping, quiet, no barking. Um, I don't worry about things like walking nicely on a leash. I'll teach them sit using treats. I'll teach them place using treats. I'll fool around with, a you know, two to three retrieves a day. 
you know, first I start with like either a rolled up sock or a small puppy canvas bumper, throw it down a hallway. All it has to do is get revved up, run down the hallway, bring it back to me. Then I'll go out to the yard and extend them a little bit. But people places things from zero to six months old, build that retrieve drive, get them on live birds, get them swimming, build a little bit of obedience. And then at six months, we work on formal obedience, collar conditioning, force fetch, extend the marks out further um, and go from there. All right, buddy. Number four. This one hits home because I had to deal with this one on a weekend hunt. So uh, if your dog whines when hunting, is there a way to break that? So the story behind that is our uh, my dad's dog, Boss, little boss man who you've probably seen. Great dog, love him, loves to hunt, loves to hunt so much that he cries like a son of a gun until he's allowed to go or until he's allowed to get in his little spot at the back of the boat and sit and wait. And then he's good and patient. But, man, there's nothing worse than an annoying whining dog. Anyways, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, you really painted a beautiful picture of Boss. Oh, yeah. So, no, he's not that bad. But he, during the anticipation of putting out decoys and stuff like that, Boss will tend to whine a little bit. Um, it doesn't generally affect our hunt, but, no, um, no, no, no. you know, dude, it's a really hard thing to break um um, any dog can do it so i don't care whether it's a english lab british lab or american lab i don't care who tells you what but depending on the dog they may whine so it tells us that they've got a ton of drive basically they want to go so bad and they love what they're doing so bad that anticipation is killing them and they can't take it a lot of times, I even think that the dog doesn't even know they're doing it. You know, you tell them quiet, and they're like, what, what? I'm not doing anything. Because they're not barking. They're just letting out little whimpers, right? So, oh, I get this question all the time. It's so hard to fix. Um, one thing I would do is truly hammer obedience. So, that dog has to do everything spot on. Heal nicely. Sit nicely, quietly. I'm going to be a dictator in the house out in the yard i'm gonna make them super obedient in every situation and i'm gonna make them quiet so if you've got them on place in the house while you're watching tv he better be quiet if he isn't quiet i'm gonna go up to him shake him a little bit by the scruff and grab him by the muzzle and tell him quiet i'm gonna sit back down he does it again i'm gonna shake him a little bit harder i'm gonna grab him by the muzzle a little harder and tell him quiet um Generally speaking, the e-collar can make it worse or it can fix it. So I'm going to either fix it with the e-collar or I'm going to realize it made it worse. Okay. Um, Other than that, the answer is be tough on them. And I hate to tell anybody that because you can really ruin a dog by being overly hard. And so you have to heed my advice with the fair warning of, it, nobody, not to cross the line. Dude, nobody wants to be tough on their dog. I don't want you to be. I don't want to be. I don't want anybody to be hard on their dog. But there has to come be, you know, come a point where it's a little, we call it a come to Jesus meeting, where you get into that dog's butt and you tell them to be quiet and they better understand. But then again, 
that sucks. It sucks. And it sucks. My advice sucks. And I don't want anybody to have to do that. So number one, get it under control in the house, in the crate, in the yard. You know, if you're training and throwing bumpers and he's whining, get it under control in the yard and you'll have a better chance out in the field of fixing it. Other than that, I'm sorry. Like, that's the best I can tell you. It sucks. So a uh, follow-up question was, if the action is slow and your dog goes to sleep? Uh, you know, wake him up. Wake him up. <laughs> um, great point. So with that in mind, if the action is, so Kevin's question or whomever's Instagram question is, if the action is slow and the dog blind and the dog lays down and goes to sleep, what do I do? I don't really harp on them. Um, back in the day with old Buck, I used to make him like sit and be like super rigid statue. And then as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little more lenient on it. But with that being said, if they're sleeping next to you, they're not marking birds. You know, the freaking wood duck that buzzes in at Mach 10 he's going to miss that mark. So we want to keep it interesting. So if you can keep a bumper in your blind bag and throughout the hunt during a slow period, you pull that bumper out and, hey, hey, throw them a fun one or maybe wing it out there and shoot a round off, um, that can help with, like, steadiness and just, in all essence, like you're keeping it fun and interesting and the dog's going to stay awake and be attentive. Also, scout a little better. Like try and do the best for your dog. And also, I'm not opposed to shooting mergansers. I'm not opposed to shooting ducks that people say like, I don't ever kill a merganser. It's like, oh yeah, well guess who doesn't care? Memphis, Buck, Birdie. They love that stuff. So I'm not opposed on a slow day or even a fast day. Whammy. Knock one down, let the dog get a retrieve, keep things fun. So bring a bumper in your blind bag for those slow times. And also, don't be too good not to shoot a merganza. One of my favorite people, Seaching83, uh, this dude. Dude, he, you are on fire. Yeah, love this guy. Appreciate the questions. As always, do you ever train started dogs? What's the market like out there? And is there a going rate for a senior or like a junior dog? Yeah. All right, good question. Probably depends on what type of dog you're talking about. Yep. So, um, dude, great question. Um, I do sell started dogs throughout the year, um, often, actually. Right now, I don't have any, but I just sold Bray to Matt, episode 11. 11. Yeah. Um, Matt from Goose Creek, he bought Bray um, confidentially. Bray was... I don't remember actually. That's terrible. Thirty five hundred, I think. Three grand? I think thirty five hundred. So generally speaking, I'm just gonna lay it out there. Um a started dog has various definitions. So you'll go on Facebook pages, gun dog everything, you know, Facebook page or buy and sell retrievers, blah blah blah, and you'll see Six-month-old started dog, obedience, collar-conditioned, you know, $2,500. All right, six months old, that dude doesn't know jack, okay? He may be collar-conditioned. He may be through obedience. But at six months old, he doesn't know how to hunt yet, okay? I'd be shocked if he did 
that's a baby in the making. So realistically, that's two to twenty five hundred, depending on his pedigree and truly where he is and what his potential is. He could be a six thousand dollar dog, but most of the dogs you'll see on Facebook pages and retriever training forums and whatever, that's a two thousand dollar dog, twenty five hundred maybe. A dog who's steady, good with gunfire, decoys, boats, blinds, um, live birds, dead birds. I mean, tomorrow you could take him hunting. For me, that's 3500 to 4500 Then your senior level where he's running simple blinds and doing multiple marks and all that jazz, that's five grand, six grand. Um, females tend to go a little bit more than males. So take that into consideration. If they have titles, that can up their price. Their pedigree, that can up their price or lower their price. Um, but think about it. And, and I tell this to everybody. All right, I'm going to buy a dog. Puppy on the low end is 1000 bucks. That's the average low average right now is about 1000 So I buy it. 1000 bucks gone. Now I got all its vet bills. Easy 600 bucks right for the you know how they got to go to the vet three times if not more right so they've got to go and get all their shots and all that stuff fecal samples and make sure everything's kosher for the first you know eight to 12 weeks of you having it so now you got a thousand dollars in the puppy and let's say 600 in vet bills boom 1600 now you got flea tick heartworm for six more months that's $30 $30 a month. Now you got food. Now we're up to almost $2,500 and you have a puppy that doesn't know anything. So if you're to buy a started dog at six months old at $2,500, you're getting a steal because that dog's already through a lot of things without you having to do it or pay for it. So look at the pedigree, go and see the dog before you buy it. I've gotten burned by that. I've done it. I've done it after I've gotten burned and buy dogs without seeing them, but I know the people I'm buying them from. So buy from somebody reputable, go and see the dog or get a ton of videos and all that stuff beforehand. Make sure the pedigree is nice and have an up-to-date vet records before you go and buy a started or seasoned or finished dog. All right. Go that ahead. said, if you're interested, shoot us a message. <laughs> yeah, we can help you out. Uh, <clears throat> BS Wheeze or B Sweeze. Sweezy. Even it's sleazy. Do you know them? No. Well, appreciate the question. Love it. Uh, trouble keeping your dog facing the decoys and is therefore missing marks. What do you got? Experience, man. Experience. So I don't know. Like That's a good answer. Just You should go out hunting more. You should take the day off from work. You should yeah. go out hunting more. <laughs> Treat uh, yourself. Yeah. I'm going to prescribe <laughs> you. a new gun. Yeah. I'm going to prescribe you more hunting. So tell your boss. Bob from Lone Duck said, go hunt more. <laughs> um, that to me is key. Like maybe you can follow up while Kevin's looking up, you know, and talking to me. But when a dog is brand new and they're on their first, second or third hunt, they have no idea what's going on. And then all of a sudden they get it. You know, maybe it's the third duck you shoot. Maybe it's the fifth. Maybe it's the 20th. I don't know. Every dog's different. But at some point or another, they're going to realize that it's just like training. Excuse me. And birds come from the sky and they come from out front where the decoys are. Okay. So give it the dog time, 
be patient with them. Um, maybe during one of those slow periods, like we talked about before, your buddy can go off to the side and whip a bumper out into the decoys and you can crack a round off and send the dog through the decoys. Um, train more, create more realistic hunting scenarios where the dog is learning to look out over the decoys instead of getting bumpers thrown from your hip. Okay. So there's a lot of things you can do, but realistically the answer is more hunting experience for that dog and you'll have more success. Okay. What you got Kev? Yeah. But, uh, he followed up and asked if you can write him a note for his boss. And Don. then, uh, bunny snipe said that you look dreamy today. My man, bunny. Um, Razor Lopez, appreciate the question. Having trouble with cold blinds. She keeps wanting to pop. What can I do to build the dog's confidence? All right, so popping is... Yeah, that's a good point. What Can you talk yep. about that a little bit to maybe explain the question for people who may not know? Yep. So popping is when a dog is sent for a blind and it turns around and looks at you without a whistle or you telling it to, right? Like it, you tell it, hey, good right there, back, it leaves, and 20 yards later it turns around and looks at you without you asking it to. Um, so some confident building things you can do, pattern blinds, um, lining paths, um, like if you remember episode with Shed Dogs with Jeremy Moore, there's things called like memory marks where – you throw a bumper, turn around and walk 50 yards, turn around, line them up and send them. Those things help. So like you'll, what we call establishing a pile. So I'll take, you know, six bumpers and I'll put a white pole in the ground. Boom. Um, we're good on time. So I'm going to put that white pole out so the dog can look out and see a white pole and it knows go to the white pole and find a bumper. So I've got that pile and I'm going to walk out 50 yards. And I'm going to establish that pile with all the bumpers, throw, 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 throw dogs at heel. He watches me throw all of them. Good. Right there back. Okay. Dog drives out to that white pole, picks up a bumper and I'm walking backwards. Now I'm at 75 yards. Good right there back. So now I've in turn established a pattern blind. So I've taken that white pole dogs, confidently driving to it at 50 75 100 125 150 most hunters don't need to go out past 150 i mean if you can get a dog running a blind at 150 you're going to be good in the marsh if you shoot a duck and cripple it out past that good luck son but long story short if you can confidently have a dog that runs 150 yard blinds you're good now you're going to do the same thing in a new location you're going to have it driving into woods. You're going to have it going across water. And you're going to use these white poles and establish the pile and back up to build confidence. If the dog breaks down early and isn't handling, simplify. Create confidence through simplification and go from there. So we got a couple of real, real cool things here. we got a couple of good questions. Uh, Want to know what your thoughts on Super Retriever Series, but also... Uh, if you listen to, man, I don't remember which podcast, but we did a live Q and a and Mike Stanley wrote in asking, uh, about his dog driving through decoys. And he just wrote in with a follow-up saying, Hey guys, wanted to update on my dog, been pushing through decoys, been working really hard with training a lot since our last chat. 
and uh, putting him through some hunting situations and everything seems fixed. Thanks for the advice. That's nice. awesome, man. Look at that. Yes. Our first live podcast success story. <laughs> Look at Bad that. Bad to the bone. All right. So, uh, Thanks, dude. Congrats, man. Um, Super Retriever Series. Yeah. So, good friend of mine. He doesn't know it yet, but he's a future podcast guest. Clark Kennington won the Super Retriever Series. So, if you don't know about the Super Retriever Series, it is the SRS. And they host them throughout mostly the southeast. And then, like, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Oklahoma, a little bit west coast. And we haven't had one in the northeast in a while. But, basically, they are a custom hunt test. So, it's a mix of field trials and hunt tests on a point-based system where there's a first place, second place, third place. There's an amateur and pro division. And let's say, well, I'm a pro. Kevin's an amateur. We both bring our dogs, and we run multiple series, I believe four. Don't quote me on it. And it's a point-based system. So every whistle, every they'll do things like if your dog bails out of a hunt area and leaves the hunting area, it's plus 25 points if... The dog hits this patch of water but misses this one. It's 25 points. They'll do a thousand snow goose decoys with a, uh, an electronic call. And they'll launch out of layout blinds and have to mark 10 birds. So they have, generally speaking, a hunt test setup, a field trial setup, a hunt savvy setup, and then a mixture of all of the above. So in each series, the dogs progress, and the it's kind of like golf. So the lowest score moves on, right? So they'll have, like, a open class series one, and then they'll knock it down to 24 dogs, and then they'll knock it down to 12 dogs, and then they'll knock it down to six dogs. So the lowest six go to the finals. Um, and so this past weekend was the crown championship of the super retriever series. And I grew up watching this stuff. Like when I was 16, 17, 18, like going into college, the super retriever series was like on ESPN. And if you're old enough, you'd remember versus like, remember that channel <laughs> freaking versus that went under, but it was on there and it was the first ever dog event on tv and so we ate now they got like the doc dogs and stuff yeah dogs are making a comeback on tv right so the super retriever series was a part of the great outdoor games and that's where it got its roots um shannon nardi who's a friend of mine and she was the producer and head videographer of ducks unlimited's water dog tv youtube that i mean that's sick so justin tackett and his dog Yella, they and Shannon, they all developed this Super Retriever series for the Great Outdoor Games, and it's taken off. And so, like local club events, like Charleston Retriever Club, hosts a Super Retriever series. And if your dog wins the pro or amateur division, and I think second place also, they get asked and invited to the Crown. And the Crown is in Alabama, and all the dogs across the country get invited to the Crown and crush it and so my buddy clark kennington and his dogs were smoke shows and won the event 
So we're going to have Clark on here. He doesn't know it yet, but you tell him I said it. And uh, so we'll talk more about his win at the Super Retriever Series and how he got started in the game. And anyways, pretty That's cool. pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, got our next. Uh, oh, this is a good question. When training during the hunting season, do you ever take client dogs on hunts if you feel the dog is ready for that level? Or do you stick to realistic drills? I've seen on Instagram you've taken clients and their dogs out on hunts as like a, not a recap, but I guess like a, maybe a catch up of where we're at. Yep. Um, I do. Simple answer. I do. Uh, if the dog is ready, then I will. Uh, also I play into, are we going to find birds? Who's going with me? One of the main things we want to do before we go on a hunt is make sure the dog's ready. So good with decoys, good with the boat, good with gunfire. So when I go on a hunt with a dog for the first time, I'm not taking six guys and it's going to sound like the civil war going off with 12 rounds blasting at one head mallard. It's going to be a couple good shooters, one or two shots, duck lands in and amongst the decoys, dog gets a layup mark, right? So I'm going to teach. But a lot of times uh, I do take, you know, Johnny's dog and him out on a hunt, and that's kind of like the way we end it if it's during duck season. So actually this weekend, old moose, he's going to go on. He's more of a pheasant dog. I trained him for pheasant and upland hunting and flushing. His owner is coming to town, and we're going to go on a few pheasant hunts. Um, I'm going to plant some birds so that moose can have some success. And then we're going to like actually hunt. So we're going to go out for two, three hours and pheasant hunt. But amongst that two, three hours, we're going to find birds because I know where they are. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Finn's defers had a question that I, th we answered a little bit um, earlier in our show here uh, for pup is uh, at the trainers for six months. Oh, I guess I read it wrong initially. The pup is at the trainers for six months, not a six-month-old. Uh, what level would you expect the dog to be at for, like, an average intelligence-level dog? Uh, let's say you have a dog for six months. Let's say it's you You take a one – well. No. All right. I yeah, got you. you, you I got it. Six, you have a dog for six months. Where are, we, where are we at? Okay. Average dog. Smart but not too smart. Not dumb. Loves the work. At six months, that dog is collar-conditioned, force-fetched, steady, good with guns, good with decoys, boats, blinds, all that jazz. I'm going to have it. Uh, you also got to follow up on the SRS question. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to have it through mini T. I'm going to have it sitting on a whistle, and I'm going to have it working on T pattern. So that's and pattern blinds. So it goes on back, and it picks up bumpers at those white poles like we talked about. Um, some dogs progress faster and therefore they might be running yeah, cold blinds might usually in a year. If you give me a year, we can make you a senior level dog, steady, honoring doubles, hundred yard blinds, you know, smooth running seasoned senior level dog within a year. Six months, our basic gun dog program is four months. So that's singles on land, water, steady, all that Pretty stuff. much a started dog. A started dog, right? Ready to hunt, but you don't have handling. So that extra two months is basically teaching it 
the beginning stages of handling. So if he told me eight months, I'd say, dang, we're pretty close at running blinds. And then at 12 months, I'd say, yeah, we're running blinds. At six months, you're in that, like, no man's land of, like, the dog gets it, but it doesn't get it. It's steady for sure and doing simple doubles and running pattern blinds and knows how to sit on a whistle, but it doesn't know how to run a blind yet. Make sense? So we got our last question here. Uh, it was a follow-up on the SRS question. He said, it's our dude, Ching 83 I feel like I got to know you on a personal level here. Uh, he said, I'll just read it off. So, I mean, how do you train for all that stuff, SRS, when it creates a lot of bad habits that will hurt you when you come back to regular AKC or UKC? Like, I feel like if you threw up a setup like that, uh, the dog would be flash marking like an idiot uh, after like a week. All right. So what, uh, do, you, what do you think? Yeah. About so that? ask him what he means by flash marking and then I'll answer while he's answering back. So well, he just heard you ask that. I know. Wait until I answer. <laughs> so with the super retriever series and the rules that they have for that, it's totally different than a field trial. It's totally different for a hunt test. And so you have to train for it. And therefore, if you have goals of becoming a master hunter in the AKC, you probably shouldn't run a Super Retriever Series and then the following weekend run a master hunter test. And you probably shouldn't run a field trial and then a week later run the SRS and then a week later run a field trial. You have to do things in the SRS to win that are counterintuitive to a good field trial or hunt test dog. But the Super Retriever Series has things that are control factors that if you have the dog under control then you can like save points so for instance a 400 yard mark oh and they don't use birds they use it's called atbs like bumpers that look like ducks right or a doken but it's an atb by avery so they throw this 400 yard atb and you send your dog on it and instead of letting it hunt hell's half acre, you give it two whistles, boop, boop, pick the bird up. Let's say that's 10 points for having to handle to the bird. Whereas in a test, you would want him to actually hunt for that bird and persevere and hunt right versus having to handle. At a master test, you only get, you have to have a clean triple. You can't really handle a lot. Like there's rules in that whole world. So like you don't want your dog getting used to you handling them to a mark. Okay, and I bet that's where he's going with it. Like if you, well, you said not holding in the bird and moving to the next bird before the first bird is down. I gotcha. Head swinging, we call that. So what he, he just asked, and Kevin just quickly re, like spoke about, is he asked where, like, let's say there's five birds going off. Boom, 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 boom. The dog is supposed to watch the mark number one, mark it. Boom, mark number two, mark it. Boom, number three, mark it. And a lot of times these savvy dogs that know another one's coming is they'll head swing. So they'll like, boom, watch it. Then turn their head and look for another. Then turn their head and look for another. And they're just basically quickly marking the bird and not focusing on where that bird fell. We call it head swinging. That's a bad habit. There's things you can do to fix it. Um, I feel like this is not the time and place to get into that. Uh, maybe another episode we can get into head swinging and drills that we can work on but he just agreed to that yeah to answer his 
main question is if you're going to focus on running a master test, focus on running a master test. If you're focused on running a field trial, focus on running a field trial. The super retriever series is supposed to be fun and like, uh, something that we can all do on the side. Now they might disagree. They want people to run it all the time, but it's not something that all these pros do. They do it on the side. Okay. So that's a good life advice. Stick to one thing. Be Focus really good on at one it. thing well, and then dabble in some others, yeah. okay? So if you want to run a super retriever series, throw ATBs for your dog, stretch them out, doing field trial stuff, do some hunt savvy stuff with a lot of gunfire and duck calls and weird crazy stuff that they can throw. I mean, I was at one in Arkansas three years ago maybe, and they threw a duck out. At the super retriever series, you mean? Yeah. They threw a duck out. It splashed 20 yards away from the dog, and then they reeled it in with a fishing pole. So really? the dog watched it, marked it, and then it, quote-unquote, swam away into the reeds. <laughs> and then they had to go pick up all the marks and leave that one alone. So, I mean, there's weird stuff that, like, you can't train for that at all. You shouldn't train for that. That's stupid. Okay? <laughs> you know, um, so your dog just has to be savvy in hunts in field trials and hunt tests it just has to be well-rounded you're not likely taking a two-year-old dog and succeeding at the super retriever series six seven-year-old dogs who've run hunt tests and field trials and have been hunted kick ass at this thing so um i hope that answered that question if you want to learn more about the super retriever series they have a facebook page i'm sure a website google it youtube it it's definitely worth your while into looking into. And then if you think your dog is, dog is up to snuff, sign them up. Let it rip. Any more questions, Kev? We got a little bit of time. Yeah. No, we can do a little bit more then. Um, let's see. We had a question uh, on a previous episode. We talked a little bit about uh, on episode 11, um, the Y drill. Oh, yeah, marking. Yep. So can you explain what a Y drill is uh, yep. for those listening? So that who is the listener that asked that question, Kev? A child dad. Mm, nice. A chill dad. A child dad. A kill dad. A kill. Yeah, I don't know. No, I, that's a bird, I think. Aw, dad? I don't know. Anywho. Question listen. about Y marks. Yeah. So <laughs> he brought up marking drills. And when Matt Peel from episode 11... Uh, he and I talked about how to teach your dog marking and improve your dog's marking capabilities. We neglected to talk about the Y drill. And so he brought up, you know, surprise that you didn't talk about this. Can you explain it? It's a great idea. I do it once to twice a week, actually. Um, the Y drill is a marking drill that teaches the dog depth perception and precision on marking and so what we do i've got a bird boy out there can't really do it with wingers it doesn't really work but i got a bird boy out there at about 50 yards these aren't long we're not stretching the dog out on these we're asking for precision so we also use i like three inch orange bumpers dangle free on my website promo code podcast <laughs> Uh, to get your percentage off, but tangle free three inch bumpers orange for this drill. And uh, my bird boy, can you explain why orange as opposed to yep, the mm, good? Yeah, good okay. point, Kev. So the orange, a lot of people throw orange because they think the dogs can see them better. 
No, sir. Um, they, it's kind of like a deer to them. It looks Brown. Okay. Ish. So they have to mark the area. Whereas a white bumper or a white and black flasher bumper, they can pick it out better on the ground. So they're going to mark the area and then boom, find that white bumper and go pick it up. They actually have to mark the area and then hunt and pick the orange bumper up. Like they, they need to go to the area and pick it up. They can't just like run around willy nilly and see white and grab it. So it hones their mark. It hones and tightens that fall area for a mark. So you got your bird boy out 50 yards. Okay. You got your dog at the line. Okay. Bird boy throws one, um, left to right angle in. Okay. So I'm going to slow down left to right angle in. So that bumper is going to be thrown towards you at like a 45 left to right. Next bird comes out flat right to left. Okay. So dog go. So let me actually back up. So it's, they're all going to be singles. So first bird angle in left to right 45 dog goes, gets it, brings it back. Then you're going to throw a flat bumper uh, right to left. He's going to go pick it up, bring it back. Then he's uh, right, uh, left to right, angle back 45. So you just created your Y, and the bird boy is that axis or the point of the Y where it, like, veers off. Does that make sense, Kev? Yeah, I'm following you. Okay. Like, if, I mean, it. I guess it's a little tough. I'm trying to audibly, but if you're, I mean, it's, it's a wide yeah, drill. So it's real simple. Clo- yeah. Legit. Like, close your eyes. If the bird boy is throwing bumpers, it's making a Y 45 in flat, 45 back, 45 in flat, 45 back. Okay. So that's your Y. Um, now that Y part where you've got the inward and the angle back, that's your depth perception. Okay. Um, so the dog has to drive it. Your first bird is thrown angle in. Now your angle back is the dog has to drive through an old fall area, which is challenging. And they have to follow the depth reception and drive to the, the back mark. Okay. So long story short, wide drill is extremely helpful for precision marking and teaching the dog depth perception, and how to mark better. I hope I explained it better. You know, I don't know. It's a good one. What else you got, Kev? I'd say YouTube it uh, for more of a visual thing. And then yeah, Lone Bill. Dog Outfitters on YouTube will be doing a wide drill right. video, video in the future. This winter, sure. Yeah. Um, Tyler Maxwell uh, adopted a year-old dog, and he's been teaching it to hunt. Uh, dog's been doing really well so far and wants to run blinds and learn to sit on a whistle. Is it too late? Is it not too late? What can we do to help that? I think we kind of talked about something similar on a recent podcast episode. Sure. Um, but either way, yeah, uh, Tyler, I'm going to give him the long story yeah. short. Long story short, dog is not too old. Okay. So it's now two years old and wants to run blinds. He's doing pretty darn good at hunting so far and all the stuff he's thrown at him. So sitting on a whistle. I'm going to break it down simple and then he'll have to take it further and maybe ask further questions in a different episode, but crawl, walk, run. So at the beginning, I'm going to walk the dog at heel 
And every time I stop and sit, or like every time I stop, that dog should sit right at heel. So every time I stop, toot the whistle, verbal sit command, dog sits. Good dog. Heel. Heel, 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 heel. Toot, sit. Dog sits. Now after 10 of those, I'm going to just toot the whistle. Dog should sit. And so through repetition, over and over, at heel, that dog is going to sit. Then, you know, he should be through thing, or now like let's say mini T, where you've got your home plate, first base, second base, third base of bumpers, right? Dog is at home, or excuse me, pitcher's mound. You're at home plate. You're casting it left, right, back, all that jazz. Every time that dog goes to home, uh, the pitcher's mound, and you're going to cast it left, right, or back, I'm going to toot the whistle. Dog sits. Good. Give me the bumper. I'm going to toot the whistle again, cast him over. So every time that dog hears that whistle, it knows to sit. And then also, hey, look at Bob. He's about to cast me. Cast. Good dog. Go back, meet them at the pitcher's mound, toot the whistle. They sit. Then I cast them back. Brings the dog or the bumper back to pitcher's mound, toot the whistle. They sit. I take the bumper, toot the whistle, over. They go and get it. So tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of repetition with the whistle meaning to sit gets them to sit then you can do things like call you know while they're free playing in the yard toot the whistle they sit throw them a fun bumper for their reward so it takes a lot of time there's a lot of drills that you can work on with this but you have to do in simplest form of teaching a dog running blinds forced to a pile so they learn the command back mini t and teach sitting on the whistle at heel t pattern which is driving to a back pile stopping them in the middle at that pitcher's mound casting them over over back back um and then pattern blinds lining pass and cold blinds so hope that helps i mean it's a really simple answer but there's a lot to it that's a couple months of work but in the short answer that's how you do it and it's doable. It's not too late. Yeah, not too late. Totally doable. Uh, Follow-up on the wide drill? Yep. In cover or in an open field? Oh, wow. Great question. I didn't hit, hit that. Should be low cover. Um, Like a soccer field. No. All right. So, great point, Kevin. Not a, necessarily a soccer field where they can see the bumper. Okay? Like, it shouldn't be sitting high pretty on a short golf course course soccer field right but it also shouldn't be in knee-high grass they're like ankle deep a little bit taller than ankle deep flat um is where i like to do it it shouldn't be rolling hills it shouldn't be overly challenging it shouldn't be mowed strips it shouldn't be there shouldn't be concepts or or challenges in between them and the bumper other than mark that thing and pick it up and go to the fall area. But it also shouldn't be simple enough that the bumper is laying flat on the ground and all they have to do is like literally run to the thing they're seeing sitting on top right. of the grass. Okay. Yeah. So we got another question. Uh, and this will probably be our last this'll one. This will be our last. Yep. Yeah. Uh, appreciate it. Kimber Lou. We've done tons of T drills and wagon wheels and the dog does great. When we try to run single blinds, he sits on the whistle, but then won't take casts and wants to just hunt it up. You know, any thoughts? Yeah. All right. Say it one more time, Kev. Yeah. So 
the dog knows T-drills and it knows wagon wheels and it does really well. When we go to run actual single blinds, it'll sit on the whistle and wants to hunt as opposed to taking casts. I got you. All right, so here's what I would do. First off, it sounds like you did a good job on T-pattern. Stay with it. Like, one thing that I see a lot of people do or hear a lot of people doing is like, damn, my dog did T-pattern great yesterday and today. Let's go run cold blinds. He should be doing it great for an extended period of time. I don't have the answer of how many times that I kind of like to see it perfect, but he should be perfect a decent amount, okay? So it can't be like, he did it great today, let's go run a cold blind. So that may be your problem. It may not. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there for everybody else listening. Um, Then, secondly, pattern blinds. This is where I really like using those white poles, establishing piles, and and teaching pattern blinds where dog knows white pole means go to it. Then I can stop them on the way to it and cast them back left. Stop them on the way to the next one, cast them back right. Um, you can do other drills where there's like, let's say, three poles kind of in a row, 60 yards apart cast them to the middle, stop them like you're going to do a T pattern and then angle back to the far pile on the left, right? Um, But pattern blinds are going to be helpful. So you're going to teach the dog where that blind is and then you're going to help cast them to it. That's going to help stop them and look at you and take that directional to, to the pattern blind. Then... One thing that I don't think we've ever talked about in a podcast is distance from the dog degrades your control. Distance from the dog degrades your control. So let's say in your T pattern field, the back piles 75 yards away and you stop them at 40 and cast them back and boy, he does beautiful. Well, now you run a cold blind and at 60 yards away, you stop him on the whistle, and he's like, Psh, screw you, I'm going wherever I want. Distance degrades control. So as you start running cold blinds, I follow the dog out. So close your eyes and envision this, right? So I got my dog at heel. Good, dead bird. Good, right there. Back. Dog leaves my side on a cold blind and is running. I don't care if they, honestly, when they're starting out, I don't care whether they go left, right, or straight, but they go. Good dog. Let them go. And I start walking or lightly jogging, and I'm following them. Okay? So they don't know where they're going. They just went on back. Good dog. Follow them. And then all of a sudden, it's time to give them a cast. Toot. And now, all of a sudden, instead of being 50 yards away, I'm 20. And they're like, oh, dang, Bob, what are you doing there? But I've got control. I'm closer to them. Remember, distance degrades control. So now I'm only 25 yards away from the dog, and I'm going to give them an angle back. Back. And they take it. And I'm going to follow them. And I'm following and following and following. And two, 
toot and set. And holy crap, Bob's only 50 yards away. Back. And he turns around and runs back, and I follow him. And so let's say we run a – I want you to run a 150-yard blind. But as he progresses towards that 150 yards, you're following him out there, so you're only 75 to 100 yards away from him at all times. So you keep that distance between you and the dog down to help control and get the casts you need. Does no, that makes sense. sense? I I I follow that, and it yeah, it's almost like so simple. Yeah, use white poles, build confidence on pattern blinds, cast on some pattern blinds, and then when you start cold blinds, you follow the dog out into the field. And the other thing is that where you're running shoes. You're going to be dragging them down. The other thing is short blinds, like a 50-yard blind, is way harder on you and the dog than 150. And the reason is to get a dog to a 50-yard blind, you have to hack it up. Toot, 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 and get that dog to the 50-yard blind because there's no wiggle room, right? There's no way to get him to be precise at a young age on a 50-yard blind. So every time he's off by a little bit, you're whistling and have to cast. And every time you whistle, you take a little bit of confidence away. Okay? So when I give a cast, I want that dog to confidently take that cast and carry it. I don't want to follow up with another whistle five seconds later, and he'll be like, Psh, what? I just You just told me back. I don't know where do you want me to go. You know, I just tried to go back. What do you want? Well, because you did such a short blind, you have to do that. So think about longer blinds. Don't be intimidated by a longer blind. Follow him out there and let him take a cast. I don't care if he's way off into no man's land. If you gave him an angle back, let him carry it. If he did a good job, let him carry it. And then stop him. And then let him carry another big one. Letting him carry a cast over a distance creates confidence hacking up a blind and whistle 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 degrades confidence and takes away the dog from he's going to be like well what do you want me to do you keep blowing that whistle i don't know what you want okay so slow down longer blinds pattern blinds let the dog carry a whistle and carry a cast and uh i hope that helps what do you think kev was that pretty sweet all right. Awesome. So, guys, let's end this uh, podcast on a high note. We've got promo code PODCAST for either 10 up to 20% off on LoneDuckOutfitters.com. We got new gear for wintertime, Christmas time. Should be pretty sweet. Um, also, we are going to do that free hat for three subscribers. Send in some good recipes. Yep. Send Looking in your recipes. Uh, extremely excited to eat what you guys are cooking, picking up what you're putting down. I'm excited to share it with everybody else. I mean, if you Me can too. put together some good photos, some good, uh, a good recipe, like just spread the love and, and we're going to put it on our website and let, let everybody else enjoy as well. It'd be let pretty the big, cool. Let the big dog eat. Let baby. him eat. Let him eat. So hunting season, kill some stuff. Cook some stuff. Send them. Send us the recipe. Top three people will make it on our website. We'll learn. Uh, we'll earn a lone duck hat. Also, give us a su- subscribe. 
click the the five star button, baby, and promo code podcast ten to twenty percent off now until like our Christmas season is over. Get in, get out, giddy up, giddy up, baby. Until the next episode, thank you. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link, join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it, enjoy it. We did it for you and you're helping us produce this show. So thank you so much to that community. Get in, get out, let's roll. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.